0: regular attender or first-time guest, we do welcome you this morning. If you are here this morning, or whether you're uh, joining us online, we invite you to get, uh, to uh, grab your Bible and go with us to the book of Colossians. That's right, we are on sermon number 13 in the book of Colossians. If you're new with us, we uh, slowly and systematically go through books of the Bible. And right now we are journeying through Paul's letter to the church of Colossae entitled Colossians and we are in Colossians chapter 2 this morning we'll be in verses 8 through 10 and so that's where we're going to be at this morning at a a pretty familiar passage of scripture to some a very familiar passage of scripture to me and excuse me One, uh, to be honest with you, a passage that I have struggled with a good deal this week. Uh, It is one that uh, a passage that I've been familiar with for the majority of my life. I've struggled with it for a couple of reasons. One, it was a I don't we don't have life verses anymore, do we? Uh, back when I was a teenager, we had life verses. Uh, we had passages that we would. Eric, you, you remember life verses, right? We had, uh, and we should have life verses. Life verses are good things. Verses that we attach to, that we identify with, and we uh, we just uh, we have a, a particular love for. And so. We know that all Scripture is good for teaching, correcting, or rebuking, but, uh, but, it's, but there are some passages that just really resonate with us. And But especially back when I was in high school, uh, many had life verses. And my youth pastor, his life verse was Colossians two eight. And so I heard it often, and it is, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty de- uh, deceit. And of course, back then, it was the NIV. And so I don't have that one committed to memory, uh, but that was uh, Colossians two eight, And so I heard it a lot. Uh, back in uh, in those days, and so as we come to this text, I uh, was reminded of those days, and uh, a lot of lot of fond memories of uh, those days are uh, longer and longer ago now. Uh, I guess it's uh, somewhat twenty two, twenty three years ago, and. Um, And then also uh, others have struggled with this text, even uh, this past week, thinking through this text and and preparing for it and just what this text means, specifically zoning in on that one word, philosophy. And so what does it mean uh, to be deceived by philosophy? Uh, And that was kind of the key my youth pastor back then, the kind of the key struggle thinking through it this week. And to be honest with you, kind of working through this, and just to give you a spoiler alert, as we get started, uh, it's really not what I thought it was going to be. And so as we look at philosophy here in a moment, as we read th- through this in just a moment, and kind of what I was really curious, one thing I love about being an adult, going through God's Word and being committed to studying God's Word, you just have a... Um, you rediscover God's Word. Uh, at least I find myself rediscovering God's Word nowadays um, in, a, in a fresh, new way. God's Word is not new, but for me it's, it's refreshing to, to really study God's Word, to know what it means when you look at its context, when you unpack it. And so that's what we're going to attempt to do this morning. So with that in mind, let us read. Uh, I want to read, kind of get some full context here. So we're going to back up a couple of verses and start in verse 6. We're going to go all the way through verse 15. Because as we're going to see in, uh, in verse 8 uh, through 10, it is there's, there's a lot happening in verse uh, 8 through 10, but it's, uh, it's all happening in this context. It starts in verse 6. So, Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to, again, gather around and underneath your word. Thank you, Lord, for, um, for this opportunity and this time to be in Colossians. Um, thank you for this truth that you've given us. And as we come to this time, Lord, I pray that you would lead us, and that you'd guide us, that you'd keep me from error, Lord, and that by your spirit, that you'd point us to your truth and that you'd exalt Christ during our time together this morning. In his precious and sweet and strong name we do pray. Amen. So this morning in Colossians 2... Uh, and this uh, this passage, this, uh, actually starting in verse 8 through the end of the chapter, uh, is really the heart of the book of Colossians. And so we're going to see uh, just the, the beginning of a lot of beautiful stuff that Paul is going to be addressing to the church at Colossae. And so we're going to address some things this morning that will continue in the next several weeks as we continue uh, in our time in Colossians. Uh, two main points this morning. It was going to be just one, but I couldn't get away with just one point. So you got two this morning. First one is this, any gospel without the fullness of Christ is empty and deceitful. Any gospel without the fullness of Christ is empty and deceitful. and That's going to be our main driving uh, point this morning. And that's what we're going to see uh, the the majority of our time be about, that any gospel without the fullness of Christ is empty and deceitful. And uh, for the, the majority of eight, that's what this is about. And so Paul... Again, he is challenging. We saw last week in, uh, in verse 6 where he was his first kind of command to the Colossians when he told them to walk. When he said to walk in Christ, and he tells them how to walk in Christ and all that Christ has done for them, that he had rooted them and built them up and established them in the, face and, in the faith and how, he, how they were to abound in thanksgiving. And now he gives them another command. He says, see to it. So, see to something. See to it that no one takes you captive. So, he challenges them. He issues them this warning. See to it. Now, to see to it. This is all throughout Scripture. Uh, it is all throughout the New Testament, uh, specifically, this challenge to see to it that something happens. And so this is a common challenge given to not just by Paul, but New Testament writers, uh, to, to the ancient Near East uh, audience, they understand this language. They understand that when they hear this, they're to kind of perk up. They are to listen, that they're they being issued a very specific warning that is of great importance. And so to see to So what are they to see to? What are they to perk up to listen to? To this, that no one takes them captive. Now this word, to take captive, is a very interesting word. It is the only time in the New Testament that it is used. Even uh, very few times in, in uh, extra-biblical uh, literature that it's used. It is a rare word, and it means, don't let anyone carry you off as a plunder that's just a fun word right let me say that again to you this word means not to be taken captive don't let anyone carry you off as plunder now paul i think is uh is given and we're going to see kind of the how this really takes effect in just a moment but it's a possible pun even because the word i think the reason why he chose this specific word it's a potential pun to the original audience that is completely lost on us today Because it likely sounds like the word for synagogue. And so he's saying, in essence, don't be taken as captive. Also sounds like don't be taken to the synagogue. So I want you to remember that, okay? Don't be taken captive. Sounds like don't be taken to the synagogue. Where the Jewish people uh, historically have gathered um, for their religious purposes. So see to it that no one takes you captive. Now, captive for what? So here's this word, not to be carried off as plunder. We know that's this, this potential uh, pun here. But this danger of being captive and uh, captive from what? From losing their freedom. I mean, carried off and, and losing their freedom. And ultimately, the freedom that Paul talks so much about, not just in Colossians, but in all of his writings, and and not just Paul, but the New Testament writers and Christ himself and the Gospels, this freedom that they have in Christ. We see in Galatians chapter 5, flip two books or three books over. Galatians chapter 5, just one verse. Galatians 5 verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So Christ has, has come to set us free. Go again to what Paul says to the church of Rome in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so, yes, Jesus has come to set us free. Free indeed. And so now, Paul is reminding the Colossians, don't let anyone take you captive. Don't let them take you back into captivity. Don't let them snatch you up. As they have a habit of doing, as their desire is to. That is what the enemy's desire is to do, is to take you captive. That's why he gives this, this language here. See to it. This warning, issues this warning. Watch out, for the enemy is at hand. And this enemy, as we're going to see, is this this religious enemy, this zealous enemy. These false teachers in the church, as we're going to see, to see to it that these zealous false teachers who are amongst you, that they don't take you captive. Now, how would they do that? How would they take you captive? It says, by philosophy and empty deceit. So what's their tactic? By taking us captive by philosophy and empty deceit now a slightly better translation is this is hollow and deceptive philosophy because there's only one article here in the greek language for these two words and so you can really kind of put these two together hollow and deceptive philosophy so their their tactic is philosophy what kind of philosophy hollow and deceptive philosophy You ever have much experience being hollow, especially whenever you're not expecting it to be hollow? The stores are about to start lining up with Easter, right? I mean, Christmas is over. We're going to start lining up. Of course, in Louisiana, we're going to celebrate what next? Mardi Gras, right? Now, we know Louisiana does it right. Mardi Gras cakes are not hollow, right? They're full of good stuff. But Easter, most disappointing thing as a kid is what? Getting the big chocolate bunny, and it's hollow, right? There's no, there's no substance in there. Hollow is, is, is disappointing. And so, this hollow, deceptive philosophy, Paul says, that there's no substance in there. And so, what is philosophy? Simply put, a simple definition of philosophy. The, the Greek words to put together means two things it means the love of wisdom, is the simple definition of philosophy, it's the love of wisdom. And if we think of philosophy today as Westerners, we think of probably the textbook definition of, of philosophy, maybe of uh, of the, the five practical aspects of philosophy, idealism, realism, pragmatism, existentialism. I think it was four. I forgot the fifth one. Maybe even philosophers like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. Maybe even uh, if we were to think of very modern-day philosophers who are coming, uh, or maybe even philosophies in the 21st century, that we see as schools of thought in the, in the world we live in today in 2023 because these schools of thought that, that we're surrounded in, right? Whether it's the schools of thought of, of politics, the right or the left, maybe even real modern, maybe Elon Musk and thinking like that, or maybe even artificial intelligence. These different schools of thought and how we see the world, worldviews. As we think about philosophy. And part of me, that was kind of my, the way I was thinking about this text. As we think about philosophy, is how we see the world and, and how it shapes our life. But that's not the philosophy that Paul is talking about when he talks about hollow and deceptive philosophy. It is not the, the worldviews, the secular worldviews around us. He is not warning the Colossians of secular worldviews. He is not saying that is what you need to be on guard against. Now granted, we do. and We could spend some time talking about that. There is plenty of secular worldview that we need to be on guard against. Anything that takes our mind away from Christ, anything that, that, um, that, 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 that diminishes Christ is wicked and evil and needs to be rejected. But this is not what Paul is looking to. This is not the philosophy that he is talking about. In the ancient Near East that we often talk about, this original audience philosophy was even much more broad than that. Philosophy was any school of thought, both secular and sacred. Any school of thought, whether it's worldly or religious. Paul was not cautioning the Colossians against worldly thought but he was warning them of those who would dilute the gospel of the power of the fullness of Christ. For him, this philosophy that he was speaking of was particularly a philosophy in the church. A religious philosophy. These who were bringing a false gospel. And he was not addressing, it seems, or we can't tell in this particular text, a particular person that he was addressing. He may not even have been addressing a particular group, as we're going to walk through chapter 2 in the next coming weeks. Because there were multiple false teachers and multiple groups infiltrating the church in the first century, as we're going to talk about. We often talk about the Gnostics, but there are more than just the Gnostics. There were those who wanted to return to the observance and keeping of the laws we're going to see. There were those who wanted to return to so many things who are not Christ. There were so many who wanted to look to not just Christ. There were so many who wanted to reject the fullness of the deity of Christ. There were so many in the church, not outside the church, but there were those in the church trying to point those in the church away from the fullness of Christ. And Paul was warning the Colossians to see to it that no one takes you captive by this hollow and deceptive philosophy. And we're going to see more of this in chapter 2. And it's likely that that these false teachers themselves even labeled some of their own teachings as philosophies in the first century. So when he said, be careful of these deceptive philosophies he may have even been specifically talking about philosophies that they could have labeled in the first century to the original audience so we don't know some of the exact details but we know that he was speaking to the church about matters that they understood in regards to the church so this wasn't things in the world that paul was concerned about it was things in the church But in direct contrast before moving on from this deceitful and hollow philosophy, we should at least point out of the contrast of the true gospel of Christ. Because where these philosophies were hollow and deceptive, the true gospel was full and true and reliable. And we're going to see as we get to verse 10, how Paul brings this this comparison back but these philosophies they were taught and they were passed down in two ways he said see two of that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit and these come about in two ways one according to human tradition and two according to the elemental spirits of the world according to human tradition go with me to the book of matthew to kind of get a a uh, inside view of what this looks like to the Jewish people. Matthew chapter 15. So what does this mean to to have these to have this um hollow and deceptive philosophy being passed down by human traditions? Matthew chapter 15, first nine verses here. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? So I love this back and forth. So listen to that. Why do your disciples break the tradition of elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus says, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother what... You would have what you would have gained for me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me in vain. Do they worship me? teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Man, you just see this clear picture of the the supposed people of God carrying on the traditions of God, thinking they're honoring God, but they're really rejecting God all the while. The Jews had developed a number of traditions that were not rooted in in the true law of God, especially in the love of God. They were not honoring the Lord in these traditions. These traditions were hollow and deceptive in their philosophy. Traditions are not inherently bad. They're not inherently wicked, not inherently evil. We have a lot of good traditions. The Jewish people have good traditions. Christians today have good traditions. Churches have good traditions. But whenever tradition goes against God's word, it ought to be rejected. Traditions can be the means by which hollow and deceptive philosophy comes into the church. Because it was the means by which it was coming into the church of Colossae. Or could have come into the church of Colossae. But Paul said, see to it that you reject it. See to it that you root it out. And there are churches throughout history and still today that have open doors that exalt church tradition over the Word of God. And may we never be that church. And we must check our own traditions. We must check the way we've always thought. As we study God's Word, as we mine out the treasures of God's truth, we will at time come to an intersection. Will we jettison what, we have, what we've been passed down for what we know to be true of God's Word? Will we hold God's Word to be true or will we look to the traditions of what's been passed down to us? If we're going to be students of God's Word, let us not hold to anything that is hollow and deceptive in its philosophy, Let us not hold to anything that is just true in its human tradition, but let us hold to that which is full of the Word of God. Don't be taken captive by human philosophies according to human tradition. Secondly, it says not only are these passed down through human tradition, it says according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now this is a, a tricky word, a tricky little part of the passage here. It's a little tougher. I'll butcher this Greek word. The stoika means things in a row or things lined up. That's what this word means. It's elemental spirits, and it's a word that we're going to encounter in other places in Scripture. We'll look to a, one of those in just a moment. And it's usually translated elementary elementary principles but it can mean a few different things and we're going to quickly look at those different things one it could mean spiritual beings some of your translations may say according to the spiritual beings but likely it does not mean those spiritual beings due to the use of the same term is clearly connected to israel we're going to look at that in just a moment but this, this term elemental spirits is likely not these spiritual beings because we're going to look in Galatians in just a second. It just wouldn't make sense in Galatians 4 because this word needs to be translated the same way. I want to kind of speed through some of this, but just to kind of give you understanding, ultimately try and get to what it does mean. Some could say that it means the law. It just means the law of Israel. Well, it wouldn't make sense for it to be the law of Israel because Paul says it's the elemental spirits of the world. And we know the law of Israel, the law of God, is not necessarily tied to the law of the world. And so likely it's a reference to religious principles or religious practices. And how ultimately how we can even tie that to Israel and to its ritualistic laws of Moses. Go me to Galatians chapter 4. Just again, a few books over. We see this used in a different place. Of how these hollow and deceptive philosophies are passed down. They're not just passed down from human tradition, they're passed down in a formal way. So you go to Galatians chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1 there. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formally, we'll continue the next few verses here. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I I may have labored over you in vain. When you go back to Colossians, you can see it again. We're going to come to this in a few weeks in Colossians 2.20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Here it is again. Why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And so again, we see this, it becomes pretty clear when you look at Paul's writing in Galatians, when you see how he's handling it in Colossians, in both in uh, verse 8 and in verse 20 and 21, it's this picture of this, these regulations, this picture of these principles and practices. And so how these, how these, um, these hollow and deceptive ph- philosophies show themselves in these religious practices. They can be deceitful if they are void of Christ. And we know that we can go through the motions. We know that you can go through these religious motions. You can go through church, whether it's in the first century or whether it's in the 21st century. And you can go through the motions and you can be taken captive by hollow philosophies and not know the fullness of Christ. So don't be taken captive by hollow philosophies according to these elemental spirits. And then our second and last point this morning is this. First one was that the, any gospel without the fullness of Christ is empty and deceitful. Secondly, the gospel is God in Christ and Christ in us. And just such a beautiful verse. We've said that Colossians is just such a Christological book. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to tradition, according to the elemental spirit of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of... Of all rule and authority. You want a life verse? There you go. Right there. In Christ, in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. One of the many false teachings that Paul is dealing with in the many churches that he is serving and he is writing to and he is ministering to, is this notion that that the fullness of of the deity of God does not dwell in Christ. And he deals with this head on. He says, yes, in Christ, the fullness of God, not part God, not some of God, God didn't come to him later, but all of God dwells in Christ bodily. He is God, all of Him. This word dwells, this Greek word, it means this, to settle, de- to settle down and be at home. Think about that for a moment. For those of you, especially who are homebodies, think about what it means to settle down and be at home. Some of you are thinking right now, I wish I would settle down and at home. If you should have preacher, I'd be there in about 10 minutes. we know that from experience what that feels like in such a limited way do we not but here is Christ what does it mean for what does it mean for the fullness of of the deity of God to be in the person of Christ for it to dwell with him for it to settle with him and to be at home That is what it means for the fullness of of the deity of God, to dwell in the person of Jesus, is that He is fully God and fully man. So Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by this hollow and deceptive philosophy that would tell you anything other than that Jesus Christ is God. He is fully God. And He has been fully God since the beginning of time. That He is co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. He is the Godhead. He is God. There has never been a moment where Christ has not been. And there there will never be a moment where He will not be. Jesus Himself said, I am And the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And compare this to where it says this philosophy, it was empty. It was empty. So make sure that no one takes you captive with this philosophy and it's empty deceit. So it compares to what these false teachers are teaching in this false gospel, this false narrative they have, this false message that is empty compared to Christ that is full. So it compares the emptiness of the message of these false teachers to the fullness of Christ. The emptiness of their philosophy to the fullness of Christ. And it continues with us. And it says, and you, and who's the you? Those who are in Christ. You, the believers. Those that He's addressing. And you have been filled in Him. So be careful that we're not taken captive and are empty, but instead that the fullness of Christ that we are filled in Him. That we have been filled in Christ. That we are made complete. That He completes us. That he completes us. And if we are completed with Christ, what does that mean? It means that without Christ, we are incomplete. It means if we are not filled in him, then we are incomplete. And this is a result of sin and the fall. All people without Christ are incomplete. All people without Christ are incomplete. And this is what leads to endless searching for something, for someone, for anything, for any substance that will bring that completion. Yet everything, every person, every substance, anything that is sought after, Will ultimately disappoint because it will not complete except for Christ. Christ alone will complete. Christ alone fills us. For in him the whole fullness of the of uh, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him. It says you have been filled. So if we are in Christ, we are filled with Christ. It is not a progressive feeling. There's not milestones to hit. Okay, whenever you're a Christian for 20 years, you get your next hit. If you do so many things, then you get more of Jesus. If you marry a godly spouse, then you get more Jesus. If you have godly kids, you get more Jesus. If you go to church, you get more Jesus. If you get Jesus, you get all of Jesus. We are filled with Him. So have you been filled with Christ? Is Christ in you and you in Him? Or are you empty and hollow? Like the philosophies that Paul warns against. And the good news this morning, the good news of salvation is that for all of those who would look to Christ and faith and repentance, is that the offer of salvation is there. Is that you can be filled by looking to Christ. That can be you today. They can be your neighbor this week. They can be your family member this week. They can be your friends this week because God has called us as those who are filled by Him to take this good news of the gospel, the gospel that is God in Christ, in Christ in us, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, and even to those we don't like. So let us be those filled with Christ who tell others of his goodness and his grace. And let us be those who see to it that no one takes us captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies. Let us pray.